Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. Hey, my name is Terry. Man, if if we haven't met, uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and Man, come up to me afterward and introduce yourself. I'd, I'd love to meet you if we, if we haven't met before. Um, let me run a statement by you just as, as we get started here. What if I told you that today in our world we live in a post-truth society? If I said we live in a post-truth world, would you know what I mean? And would you agree with me? Uh, Post-truth is a term used by sociologists to describe how we've come to arrive at what we believe and how we choose to live. And I would argue that our society has a post-truth view of reality. In the literature, it's described this way. Post-truth refers to a situation whereby facts have lost their worth in contemporary political and public debate. The concept is not so much used to suggest that the truth does not exist, but that facts have become secondary to our socio-political point of view. Isn't that the case with our society, that facts have become secondary to our socio-political point of view? You know, if we're honest about what we see in the world around us and often what we see in our own hearts, we can acknowledge that we often come to hold certain beliefs, to live in certain ways, because we feel a certain way about certain things, um, or that those things cause us to have certain feelings within us. In other words, our lives are often rooted, it's a word you're going to hear a lot today, rooted find their grounding in what we personally like or how we personally want to feel. And again, I think if we're being honest, uh, we know where that sort of thing leads. Um, Look at the world around us. Well, today we're in the second part of a series called At Our Core, where we're explaining, kind of working through, kind of uh, dissecting and and putting out there the, the core tenets of our, uh, our church, our main descriptors, our core descriptors, what makes us Reach Life Church, our DNA, why we are who we are, why we do what we do, the way we do it. Um, so today we're talking about our aim as a church body to be a biblically rooted church. Last week, Pastor James led us through the concept of being a gospel-centered church. That is that everything is centered around what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And this week we're looking at being a biblically rooted church. And that is, when we say biblically rooted, that is not finding our grounding for existence as a church or our life as individuals in what we prefer to be true and how we want to feel, like sort of a post truth sort of way, but in what is true and then base our feelings and our life choices on that. Uh, we believe as a church that only the Bible deserves to be. And is the only legitimate anchor for our lives individually and our life as a church. That's one of our core descriptors. That's at the the core of who we are. And see, this is because as as a church, as the the late great Francis Schaeffer put it, we believe that the real God who's actually there is there and he has not been silent. 
God is there, and He has not been silent. He has, in fact, spoken to us, and even done so in a written way, in a, in a verbal, written form. God, we like to say around here, has written a book, right? He has written a book. Therefore, we don't have to and don't get to make stuff up, right? Uh, the author of time and space has revealed himself and his will in time and space, our time and space, in a book that we commonly call the Bible um, in a way that we can understand. And we don't uh, have to be unduly swayed by voices around us, uh, media voices, our peers, the voices in our own hearts and minds, uh, our own preferences, because God has testified on his own behalf. Get that concept. God has testified on his own behalf. And so then as individuals and as a church, we want to be rooted in God's testimony about himself, rooted in God's word, not the word of ourselves or, or anyone else. So we define as a church being biblically rooted in kind of three chunks. You'll see the definition up on the screen there. We define being biblically rooted as being joyfully submitted to and transformed by the inspired word of God. Right, And uh, the sentence was written so that you can understand what we mean uh, when we say that we want to be a biblically rooted church. But to show you why we seek to be a biblically rooted church, I want to kind of break that statement down in reverse today because I think the logical flow and, uh, of understanding of why we choose to be a biblically rooted church is, can be better seen that way. So we'll begin by looking at the inspired Word of God. We'll look at being transformed Transform, and then we'll look at being joyfully submitted. So first, what does it mean to say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God? It's an important place to start. That's the first thing you'll see in your uh, weekly. If you're following along, you're, you're a note-taker like I am, and it helps me to write things down. It helps me to like pay attention and not check out when I write things down and fill out blanks. So the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and that's, the, that's really the most important reason that we seek to be rooted in the Bible, to be a biblically rooted church. Um, simply, yet profoundly, because the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, and unpack this. Uh, most of you who have been around us for a while, or maybe you've been around the church in general for a while, are familiar with these passages that we're going to go through today. But I want you to kind of click into them today with fresh ears. Hear them afresh today. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, or woman of God, I would say, uh, may be complete equipped for every good work. That phrase, breathed out by God, is literally where we get the idea of inspired. Inspiration is breathed out by uh, God. Biblical orthodoxy, that is sound biblical doctrine throughout church history, defines the doctrine of inspiration this way. And I get this from Charles Ryrie. He says, it's God's superintendence of the human authors so that Using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. That is what they wrote down. Uh, and then he goes on to say that several uh, kind of key features in this definition are worth emphasizing. He says, it's not coming up on the screen, but he says, 
Um, the first thing to notice in there is that God superintended but did not dictate the material. Secondly, he says God used human authors and their own individual styles and personalities. Three, he says, nevertheless, the product, the end product, the Bible, was in its original manuscripts without error. And I would add a fourth thing to what Dr. Ryrie says there. I would add that modern scholarship has revealed that the Bible that's in your hands today is indeed true to those original manuscripts that the authors wrote down. Um, the inspired manuscripts themselves. And so notice how the, the flow of thought here takes place back in, in Paul's words in 2 Timothy. That, that uh, passage could accurately be read this way. If I were to paraphrase it, I might say something like this. The Bible is the inspired word of God, therefore, right? It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that no disciple of Jesus May, or that the disciple of Jesus may be equipped for everything God calls them to do. That's, that's what's being said there. Because the Bible is the inspired word of God, therefore it is good for everything that God has for you in your life. Every season, everything he's calling you to. Now, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a source, or a, a resource, if you will, that's truly everything that we need for God uh, to do everything that God has for us in our lives. Would that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing and wonderful if in the sea, the like chaotic sea of ideas that swirls around us in the world today, the sort of chaos and self-delusion that can go on inside our own hearts, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a certain, sure, fixed point of reference to discern truth versus error and anchor our lives in. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If we had such a thing, wouldn't it be crazy then to have ourselves rooted as individuals and as a church in anything else? If such a resource existed, why would we sort of plant ourselves, root ourselves in anything else? Well, the truly astonishing news is that we do indeed have such a source, a sure point of reference in the confused sea of ideas outside of us and within us. In the ups and downs of our own lives, God himself wrote a book. Therefore, it is good for teaching in every situation that God has for us. We can be complete for every. Good work. And by the way, you have access to that thing 24-7, 365. We can take the Bible for granted. Do you realize that? Here, here in America, uh, the, the Western world, uh, how many of you have more than one Bible and that you own more than one Bible? That's insane. It's amazing. What a blessing to have a Bible, to have a page of the Bible. Yet we have we, we, you could pull open your phone right now and get like biblical resources to study. The, the Bible, and know the Scriptures for yourselves. 24-7, 365. That's the, but, but consider what it is we have. We have a sure reference point for our lives individually, for our lives as families, for our lives as friends, for community, for a church. God has written a book. And that leads directly to the next point in our statement about being biblically rooted, and that is that by the power of the Holy Spirit who authored the biblical text, the Bible transforms our lives. 
Holy Spirit's a change agent. Do you realize that? It's what he does. And so by saying that we're transformed by the Bible, I mean that as a church, we seek to see both ourselves and one another being progressively made more righteous as the Spirit of God renovates our souls, right? Um, to conform more and more into our new identity as Jesus' disciples. And that, again, that happens by the Spirit of God, primarily through the Word of God that's authored by the Spirit of God. Psalm 1 gives us a really solid picture of what that type of, re- of uh, renovation That type of transformation looks like. Psalm 1, 1 through uh, 3 say this. Blessed is the man, of course, or the woman, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, that is the word, of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then here comes the transformation part. Look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted. Okay, so so that person who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates night and day on God's word, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. Isn't that kind of the kind of steadiness? the kind of groundedness, the kind of rootedness that all of us want to have in all situations that life hits us with? Anybody ever been blindsided by life? You can only hold as strongly as your anchor is during those times. And we can be, the scripture tells us, planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. The leaf does not wither and everything we do, we do prosper. That is spiritually prosperous, not guaranteeing like financial success or anything like that. But we can thrive in times and, and seasons, come what may, by being planted, rooted, grounded in God's word. That's the type of steadiness uh, I hope that you want for yourself. You know, consider the famous uh, verse of Romans 12, too. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Tra- transformed. Transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Paul, who wrote that passage in Romans, tells us how our minds are transformed in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That is, let's pause, that is set her apart for himself, make her holy, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with what? Church. The word, thank you, right. Washing of water with the word so that, because, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That should be enough for us to be, want to be biblically rooted. But consider the words further of Jesus himself in John 17, 17. Bible students, you may realize that we're now in a section that's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus is about to go go be crucified. He's praying for his disciples and for those who would believe through those disciples. That's us. And listen to what Jesus prays to the Father. Verse 17, John chapter 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them, us, in your truth. 
And then what does Jesus say the truth is? Your word, God, is truth. Sanctify them, us, the church, in the truth. Father, your word is truth. Jesus is praying that we would be sanctified, again, set apart, made holy in the truth. And he says that the truth is the word of God. Now, what I didn't include in the slides that I sent to you, Boaz, but I should have included, is what Jesus goes on to say in verse 19. So it won't be coming up on the screen, but listen to what Jesus says. And for their sake, that's our sake, the church's sake, Jesus says, I consecrate myself. Wait a minute. Jesus sets himself apart. Why? Consecrated for what? The cross. Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could make a perfect payment for our sin on the cross. He set himself apart. He he says, I, for their sake, I consecrate myself. Why? So that they also may be sanctified, so that we may be set apart for the Father. In truth. Now he had just told us what the truth is. God's word. We could be sanctified, set apart. Jesus consecrated himself, set himself apart holy for the sacrifice so that we may be set apart as holy in the truth. And the truth he just told us is the word of God. And if there's for no other reason that we want to be a biblically rooted church, it should be because Jesus himself said that this is part of the reason he died for us. So that we can know God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And in the truth is according to the Word of God. Man, we should want to be a biblically rooted church. We are are sanctified, that is grown in righteousness, transformed by the washing of the water of the Word of God itself. This is why we are biblically rooted. Jesus died so that we can live in the Word of God. Lastly, Because the Bible is the inspired Word of God, because the Spirit of God uses the Bible to transform our lives, we, the last part of our definition of being biblically rooted, we joyfully submit to the Bible. Now, let's just acknowledge a few things in that statement right there, okay? Uh, First of all, the word submit. Everybody okay? Nobody died when I put the word submit up on the screen? Everybody, that's a terrible word to use in our society. Uh, that may have like in your heart, when you, said, you read the word submit, you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Where am I? Why am I sitting here? Um, but everybody's okay. Nobody imploded or uh, spontaneously combusted when I put that word. So that's great. Uh, but don't worry, this, this concept of submission that we're going to talk about is a good and beautiful thing. And we'll unpack it as we go. That said, another thing that I want to talk about in that definition is the overall idea of being submitted to the Bible. That might sound weird to you, depending on your background, kind of where you're coming from. So I want to be sensitive to that. What do we mean when we say we're submitted to the Word of God? We mean that it is the joy of the disciples of Jesus and of Reach Life Church to agree with God about everything. That's all we mean. We want to agree with God about everything. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's it's God's testimony on on His own behalf. And so when the Bible tells us something about God, something about ourselves, something about the world around us, something about one another, we just by default say, I agree with God. Before any question is asked, before any opinion is given, before I form my own opinion, I want to start with the posture of, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. I agree with you. I agree with what you have said. 
by default. It's my default position. It's our default position as a church. 2 Corinthians 10.5 say this. The Apostle Paul tells us, he's, he's talking about spiritual warfare that, he, he, that we engage in, and that's in the world around us and in our own hearts. He says, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and then we do what? We take every thought, every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, God has revealed the truth about himself and about us and the world around us as revealed in Scripture. Where do we find the teachings of, of Jesus? Where do, we, where do we find what to obey Christ in? In the Word of God, right? Uh, in other words, God has revealed those things, and so we, we must think, okay, then I want to live according to Christ. I, I don't want to live according to myself or popular opinion or, or what I'm told to think or anything like that. Um, I don't want to go with the flow of, of the world around me. I don't want to go with my own intuitions or, or, or feelings or uh, sort of gut instinct or that, that sort of thing. And I want to park here for just a minute because there, there's a real application that you may or may not be aware of that may be taking place in you or the, in the lives of those around us. There's a there's a seemingly growing segment of uh, the culture and um, the, so even in the supposed Christian church that seeks to what we call deconstruct the Christian faith and allegedly sort of build, rebuild faith according to um, our, those intuitions that we may have. Um, a, a personal relationship with God apart from the Bible being the defining factor in and the grounding, the rooting of that relationship with God. And I want to just think about that for a minute. How are you going to form a view of God and your relationship with God by having your starting point as a rejection of God's testimony about Himself and about you? That's a really shaky, to say it kindly, really shaky place to start in our assessment of who God is because we Okay, God, I, I want to I know the real God, but I wanna, I'm going to start by rejecting what God has said about himself and about me. It's, it's, a, it's a shaky place. Um, maybe, maybe I'm missing something, but it, it, that would essentially seem to equate um, to following yourself, isn't it? I'm following my own intuitions about God rather than what God has said about himself would ultimately lead to following yourself. There's a, an illustration I, I saw years ago that's always stuck with me. It's of a pilot flying a plane in a storm. And this pilot was flying a plane and he lost power in the plane. He's going along in the storm. It's dark. And the only electrical that's working on the plane now are the lights out on the ends of the wings. And the pilot thinks calmly to himself, you know what? I don't have any power I have no navigation, but you know what? I see a light out on the end of the wing. I see a light out on the end of the wing. And I know as long as I stay between these two lights, I know exactly where I am. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Wouldn't that be ridiculous? I, I, I see these lights. I, know, I haven't gone anywhere. I know exactly where I am. The truth is, that's how it is when we use our own hearts as our guides. We look out at the warm glow on the ends of the wings and we think, ah, 
I'm still in line with myself. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly where I'm going. You know, the, the truth is that we need objective, true, outside guidance. We need a real source to know the big picture of where we are and, and the map of, of where we're headed if we stay on the same course. Um, we need to know whether we're on the right direction. And we cannot possibly determine that ourselves. And then, okay, so there's an additional component uh, that I think needs to be addressed along these lines, particularly as it comes to this idea of deconstruction. Let me give you a sad reality, church, as the church. People are at this place of deconstruction and their starting place with the rejection of Scripture uh, being the uh, revelation of God about himself, in large part because of us. Because we have not viewed the Bible and treated the Bible as it is the, as the Word of God, the church, by and large, I'm not just talking about Reach Life Church, hopefully not Reach Life Church, God forbid, but the church in general tends to treat the Bible as a tool of man rather than the Word of God, a tool of man for manipulation, for coercion, for power, for dominance. They've abused Scripture and hurt many people and have led people to this place of deconstruction. Therefore, when these people try to evaluate the truth about God and themselves apart from the Bible as their guide, they can only see God and themselves through the lens of the hurt and abuse that the church has caused in their lives. That's a sad fact. It's because we haven't appreciated that God wrote a book, that it's God's book. The church hasn't held up the Bible as the word of God and, again, has used it as a tool of, of man to manipulate or for selfish gain. Um, the truth is, though, that we all submit to something, don't we? That's, a, that's an unavoidable reality. There's something that you base your views and your choices in life on. So even outside of those who are going through a deconstruction process, we human beings, all of us, tend toward, because our hearts are, are, are idol factories, the Bible says, we lean toward shaping things in our own image. I would just argue this morning, church, that a healthier approach, a better approach, would be to take every thought captive according to Christ. That is, as individual followers of Jesus, as a church collectively reach life, we are submitted to Jesus' authority, specifically as he has revealed himself in the Bible. Because the Bible is the word of God. It's a better God for our lives than we are. It's a better God for your life than Pastor James and I are. This is, this is the reason we want to help you as a church dig into the scriptures for yourselves. Hold us accountable when we're up here preaching, right? We're not infallible. Right? The Word of God is, but we're not, right? You can count on it. You can't always count on us. We want you to be self-feeders. Um, I'll get into more of that in just a minute. But we want to point one another to Jesus and His Word and not to ourselves. Therefore, you can see it coming up on the screen, to joyfully submit to the Bible is what it looks like on a practical level to joyfully submit to Jesus. Because this is Jesus' revelation about himself. 
I'll read it again. To joyfully submit to the Bible is what it looks like on a practical level to joyfully submit to Jesus. Now, again, I want to uh, address what may seem like an oxymoron there, kind of like jumbo shrimp, two words that don't go together, and that is joyfully submit. Doesn't that sound weird? (laughs) Joyfully submit doesn't seem to go together. Again, we don't like the concept of submitting to anything, particularly things that claim to have authority, and then even more so claims that have things that have, uh, that claim to have total authority over our lives. To, that's not pleasant at all, let, it, let alone joyful, right, if we're, if we're being honest. Um, but the reality is um, that we, we should kind of bristle when something claims to have total authority over our lives. That, that should be like, oh, right? Uh, God, God is not in favor of tyrants. But here's the reality. There's a real God who is God, and he has not been silent. He is talking to us, and he is not a tyrant. He's the God who loves you, and he deserves to have that position of authority. He really is sovereign over us, and he alone deserves that spot. Um, he has it. He has that spot in Reach Life Church by His grace. God help us. Um, again, the, other, the wonderful part of, the, of that is God is sovereign, but He's not a tyrant. We're, we're the tyrants, right? We, we tend to seek to rule our own lives and the lives of others. But God, the real sovereign, is not a tyrant. He's a good king. He's morally perfect. He's holy. He's righteous and loving and kind and slow to anger and quick to forgive. This is God. This is how God is revealed in Scripture. There's a, there's a really a beautifully uh, fully orbed view of God uh, that the church has affirmed in what's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question in there, uh, in paraphrase, says that the, the chief aim of man, of humanity, our purpose um, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is, this is our, the design for all existence, for all humanity. So God is, it, God is not only a being to be reverenced or feared, but because of Jesus, we can also enjoy God. And I hope, church, that as we dig into the Scriptures together, you will know what it is to live life with the joy of God, to have joy in your walk with the Lord, to enjoy Him deeply, richly now and forever. Interestingly, the second question of that same historic catechism uh, says, what rule or standard has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him forever? You know what the answer is? The Word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule or standard to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him forever. This is being biblically rooted. This is our goal as a church. We seek to be a biblically rooted church because we want to glorify God and enjoy Him now and forever. Therefore, for these reasons, we joyfully submit to the Bible, the Word of God. Um, Now, we can... (laughs) We can have sanity in this world because the Bible is the one sure litmus test of truth. 
The Bible is the one sure guide on how to live in this world and with one another. We can have peace in the midst of chaos because the Bible is what reminds us of who really is in control and to whom we belong. We can endure the present because we have a future hope made sure because the Bible tells us of our place in God's family now and our place in Christ's kingdom that is to come. The Bible tells us that Jesus will make all things new and that Jesus will set all things right. We find these things in the scriptures, in the Bible. And for these reasons, because the Bible is the inspired word of God, because the Bible transforms our lives, therefore we joyfully submit to the Bible and are, by God's grace, a biblically rooted church. How does this play out? Then Let's just be practical. In our leadership, if you're examining a church, do I need to be part of Reach Life Church? Do I need to be some other part of, a part of some other church? And our leadership, being biblically rooted, means that James and I are constantly trying to make sure that we feed you a steady diet of Scripture. Not of like our anecdotes or five happy hops to a brand new existence or, you know, whatever. We want to feed you the Word of God. We want to feed you the Bible's big picture, the Bible's smaller individual accounts and theological doctrine that ties it all together. We want to place ourselves, including our personal opinions about all matters, under the authority of Christ by submitting our personal lives as your pastors and our personal positions as pastors to the rule of the Word of God. And these things are not only true of us, but of our leadership team as well. How does that work out on a corporate level for us as a church? Well, we want to build our life as a church, the rhythms of our church, what we do around what we see the church being in Scripture. We want to order our ministries the way we um, do them and what we choose to do according to the Scriptures. We look at what the Bible says the church should be and what the Bible says the church should be about, and we try by God's grace, to conform further and further to that. Uh, we want to help one another know and study the Bible for ourselves. Well, then individually, it works out this way. We want to walk alongside one another. I need help enjoying God by being submitted to the Scripture. I don't know if you need it. Maybe you're perfect in that. Maybe you don't need help, but I, I need you, okay? Uh, and I would argue that you need one another to help us joyfully submit to the Word of God and enjoy God that way. We want to help bring one another real, in other words, biblical clarity in life. We want to know God, and we need one another to do that. And this is where I want uh, this to kind of sit this morning in your own thinking. Uh, it's not a really profound statement, but we are us. Right? In other words, when I talk about the church, we want to be a biblically rooted church. Do you realize that's you? That's me? We're not primarily an organization. We're a family of people. So if we're going to be a biblically rooted church, we must be first biblically rooted individuals. So are you a biblically rooted person? In your outline, it's a, more, it's a personal question for you. It says, am I a biblically rooted person? Person. That is, in your life, do you ground yourself? Do you base your life on? Do you joyfully submit to the Word of God? Again, that begins with agreeing with God by default on any question, any subject in life. There's no sacred, secular split. Everything is holy to God. Everything. God has an opinion about your life, a loving opinion, authoritative opinion, a holy opinion. 
Uh, listen, Reach Life Church, we want you to know the joy of the Lord. And by, by God's grace, it's our desire to be a biblically rooted family. Amen, Pastor James? Amen. Well, maybe the idea of joy for you um, in relationship with God maybe sounds a little foreign. Maybe you're like, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, but joy? In my relationship with God, it's kind of dusty <laughs> right now. If, if it's there at all, it's kind of stale. Maybe that, that's foreign to you. Or, or maybe you're like, I don't even know what it would mean to walk in joy with God. You know, or maybe I get it, but I don't got it. I don't have that. Um, maybe you begin to recognize that you need Jesus as the anchor in your life. I want to encourage you that God's with you in that. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him in joy. If you'd like to know more about that, uh, let's talk after the gathering. I'll be right down here. Pastor James will be down here. Let's talk together. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and as we've been talking about the scripture, you realize, you know what? I've really not appreciated the Bible for what it is. Or maybe like in my mind, I've appreciated it for what it is, but I haven't appropriated what it is in my life, like as I live. There's grace for you. There's grace for you. Man, our Father loves U-turns. He really does. He will empower you to find zeal for himself in this dry season of your life. He loves changes of direction. We'd love to talk with you more about that after the service.